uh, in the Jesus Church where I'm blessed to pastor. And in Watertown is uh, just launching into their Sunday school service as well. And so um, I am, uh, I'm here because the Lord told me to come here. Uh, otherwise, I would be there and I would be more than excited to be at home. Uh, I am a homebody. I like to be at home. <clears throat> I like to be uh, in Watertown, uh, but I am very grateful to be with you today. Amen. I want to teach this morning, and I was not asked to teach this, I promise you, um, but I do feel confident that God would have me to speak this this morning. I want to teach on this subject, how to help your pastor. How to help your pastor. We might be somewhat interactive this morning in the 10 o'clock session, if that's all right. I don't know if that's your custom or not, um, but I think it would be good if there's a little bit of back and forth, uh, and uh, otherwise that leaves you listening to the melodious sound of my voice for like two hours today, and uh, I would not wish that on anybody. Uh, so uh, we'll let you talk a little bit as well. Amen. Is that all right? Okay. So my first question to you is, who rebuilt the walls of the city of Jerusalem? Somebody shouted out, who rebuilt the walls of the city of Jerusalem? Nehemiah. Fantastic. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 1 reads this. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brother and the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it. They set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho. And next unto them builded Zakur, the son of Imri. But the fish gate did the sons of Hasena build, who also laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof and the locks and the bars. And next unto them repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz. And next unto them repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabiel. And next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Baana. And it goes on and on throughout the chapter. It gets even down to Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 14, where the Bible says, The Dungate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of part of Bethamacharim. He built it and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. So I ask you again, who rebuilt the walls of Jericho? Everybody. Now, the book written by Nehemiah is titled after him, but the chapters within the book were inspired by the breath of God. Literally, it is inspired scripture. And God breathed upon Nehemiah, and God had Nehemiah write down the name of every man and every family that labored on the wall all the way down to the family that rebuilt the dung gate. Even the toilet scrubber got a mention in the word of God. You see, God calls pastors to a city. And God calls a man of God to do a work in a city. 
But the man of God cannot do it on his own. He is not intended to do it on his own. And at times it might seem like the man of God gets more credit, his name gets recognized, or his name gets known. But can I tell you this morning that in the pages of heaven, every single man, woman, or child that rolls up a sleeve and gets to work in the kingdom of God will have their names recorded in the annals of heaven. You might be the one that is faithfully scrubbing the toilet every Sunday afternoon once everybody goes home. But know this, nothing you're doing for the kingdom of God is going unseen, unknown, or unrecognized by the Lord. How many have heard of Paul? Okay. I got it nervous for like the first three seconds. I was like, all right, well, we're going to back way up and start working through some epistles here. How long do I have? Tell me a few things that Paul has done. He wrote, wrote much of the New Testament. Founded churches all across Asia. Anybody else? He, he persecuted the church. Right. It, it would be hard to imagine the New Testament without the influence of Paul. We're all familiar with the name. Well, how many have heard of Tychicus? Okay, we got one. Tell me something Tychicus has done. He helped Paul. Here's how Paul felt about Tychicus. In Colossians chapter four and verse seven, see it's a name that we don't call very often. It's a name that doesn't get a whole lot of recognition all of the time. We're not, we're not celebrating the works of, of Tychicus, but listen to Paul in Colossians 4. He says, all my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Again, in Ephesians chapter six, he writes this, but that you may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord shall make known to you all things. I've sent him to you for the same purpose that you would know how we're doing and so that he could comfort your hearts. What's my point this morning? What am I trying to deposit into your heart? It's, it's this. The name on the sign might be Bishop Chuppy or it might be Pastor Paulson. But the men and women that fill the seats of this house of God are of no less importance to the kingdom of God than the man that God has called to lead the assembly. I hope you believe that, and I hope you understand that before this is all said and done. All of our names are not going to fit on a sign. And not all of us were called to pastor the church. And every once in a while, you should wake up in the morning, throw your hands in the air, and thank God that you weren't called to pastor the church. I look a little bit sideways at somebody that's just dying to pastor. It's a job, it's a description that, that it's, it's, it's not all that sometimes it's cracked up to be. 
There's a lot that goes on in the unseen. There's a lot that goes on in the darkness. This pulpit only consumes about 10 to 15% of the effort of a pastor. There's a weight that rests upon the shoulders of a man of God that has been called to this position. But Nehemiah could not have built the walls of Jericho alone or the walls uh, of Jerusalem. He probably shouldn't have built the walls of Jericho. I'm going to Sunday school. <clears throat> Got to restart here. And as awesome as Pastor Paulson is, and as called of God as he is to Bismarck, he cannot do this alone. He needs men and women across this assembly to settle it in their hearts. I'm going to stand behind him. I'm going to help him. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to lift up his hands. Uh, he needs men and women... He needs men and women of God like Tychicus that he can send without their name ever being known or recognized that will be known as faithful brothers, fellow servants, ministers of the Lord that can be trusted to carry out a task, that can be trusted to go to another city and begin to share the heart of Paul with a people. One more, Onesimus. Anybody familiar with the name Onesimus? All right, I got one. He was a runaway slave that was a focus of the book of Philemon. But he was valuable to the man of God. In Philemon verse 10, it says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable. That's that's what Pastor Paulson's referencing when he talks about our teenage years. There were some unprofitable years that I lived through. But now he's profitable to thee and to me. And so Paul is saying that this Onesimus, who he was a wreck, he was a runaway slave by rights. He, he needed to go back to his master Philemon. There's a completely different sermon topic, the the the, the the title, the namesake of the book, legally owned Onesimus. There's some mind-blowing stuff going on in the first century church. But Paul sends him back to him because uh, he's believing that Philemon is going to release him to the service of Paul. Don't you think it would make sense a little bit that maybe even the book could be named after Onesimus? But Paul said, I wanted to retain him with me that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Paul realized that this man right here, this runaway slave is of great value and great importance to me. And I'm going to send him away for a moment, but I sure hope that he can come back and be a help to me again. I was not always, I was not always a pastor. In fact, I've not been a pastor for very long. Uh, it was in November of, of 2021 that the official uh, vote happened and, and the church elected my wife and I to serve in that, that capacity and that role. And so before that, before that, I tried to be something for my pastor. I tried to be a help. I tried to be Onesimus. I tried to be Tychicus. So I want to I give you some ideas today on how to help your pastor. 
Is there anybody in the house that wants to help your pastor? Is there anybody that wants to see? How many of you would like to have your pastor grow by leaps and bounds? That's not an insult of where he's at, but that's a recognition that God can continue to work in him and through him. How many of you understand that as, as your pastor rises, it's quite probable that the church will rise? But as your pastor falls and as he gets frustrated and beat down, it's quite likely that the church will get frustrated and beat down. You see, God calls a man to a city. God calls a family to a city. And then he begins to add people around him to further the work of the kingdom. He's not here by accident. He's not even here by your vote. Though it is fitting and it is good and it is necessary that the people of the assembly give assent and consent to the leadership that God places over them, it was God that positioned him in this place for this season. Amen. So we are called to help. You're not called just to fill a pew and to take up space, you're called to assist. He's not the only one that can pray people through to the Holy Ghost. He's not the only one that can teach a Bible study. And I'm thankful for all of the, the faithful saints and the faithful ministers in this house that I know are, are laboring in that field. In fact, he's not the only one that, can, that God can work through to do miracles. Well, all right. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. Jesus takes it down to the lowest common denominator. He did not say these signs shall follow licensed ministers. He did not say these signs shall follow pastors or youth pastors or assistant pastors. He did not say that. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe. Are there any believers in the house today? All right. So there are signs that are meant to follow you. When God calls somebody to be a pastor of a church, it's not a hierarchy of importance or of value. It's the election of God. God in his wisdom and in his foresight positions men. It was God that called men to a fivefold ministry of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. It's not a value proposition. He's not worth more than you. He's not more important than you. He's simply placed in a position of leadership by God. And leadership in the kingdom of God is not so that we can have a throne and a good parking spot and have somebody polishing our car all of the time. To lead in the kingdom of God is to be the chief servant. So how to help your pastor? First, realize what he is. He is a man, but he's called by God. Pastor Paulson is a man. As a man, he has flesh. I don't know if this is revelatory to anybody. As a human being, he has faults. It's okay, you can amen. He's not going to throw anything at you, I don't think anyways. <laughs> Your pastor is not perfect. 
And the sooner that you realize that, the easier it's going to be for you to follow him. The sooner that you understand that he is a man that is called by God to occupy a position, the easier it's going to be for you to bring yourself into alignment with his leadership and begin to follow him. We can go back to the Old Testament where Nathan the prophet is leading David and David calls Nathan to him and David says, look, I want to build a house to the Lord our God. And Nathan says, do all that is in your heart for God is with you. And David's like, yes, I got the man of God's approval. We're going to lay out some blueprints. We're going to lay out some plans. We're just going to, we're going to do this thing. And the Bible says that Nathan goes home and the word of the Lord came to him that night. Kind of makes me wonder what the first part was. But the word of the Lord comes to, da- to Nathan the prophet that night. And he begins to tell Nathan what to go to David and say. So Nathan, the man of God, is placed in the position of going back to the king of Israel and saying, well, uh, actually, here's what God says. You can't build the house. That's not a very desirable position. As, as, as a pastor myself, I can tell you one of the hardest things to get used to is telling somebody no and crushing their spirit. Although crushing their spirit is never the goal. But Nathan has to go back to David and say, no, actually you can't build the house. And David has a choice at that point. David can either say, you know what? Yesterday you told me I could. How dare you come back and tell me that I can't? But David doesn't do that. He submits himself to the man of God. He submits himself even when the man of God changes his voice overnight. And David says, yes, that's the word of the Lord. I'm going to follow that. Was he disappointed? Yes. Uh, Was was he a little bit let down? Yes. Uh, But here's what he did. He recognized the voice of of God flowing through the man of God. And he said, you know what? I'm going to follow that. I'm going to listen to that. So realize what you have in this house. You've got an anointed man of God, uh, but he's still a man. So allow him to be a man. Allow him at times to have flesh. Allow him at times to have faults and to have failures, uh, but trust that he's after the voice of God. Trust that he's praying. Trust that he's reading the word. Trust that he's fasting and allow God to speak through him to you things that might be challenging for you to hear. Does that make sense? All right. These next couple are very practical. Be on time and be dependable. While it may not sound spiritual, it absolutely is. Demonstrate accountability and faithfulness in the little things. And the man of God and the God of the man will take notice. If you wonder why the same four people seem to get all of the opportunities, it just might be that the same four people are demonstrating consistent accountability and faithfulness. Everybody say fat. It stands for faithful, available, and teachable. 
Now everybody say, I want to be fat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Me too. I want to be faithful. I want to be available. And I want to be teachable. You see, one of the greatest helps you could ever be to the man of God and to the work of God in Bismarck is to consistently render yourself faithful, to be available, and to be teachable. I do not know everything. And I know your pastor well enough to know that that's his posture as well. Even though he's called of God to lead, he's open to direction. He's open to correction in his life. I know that he's faithful to the work of God. And if you want God even more than your pastor to notice, then be faithful in the little things. Remember, nothing is unseen by God. Everything you do for the kingdom of God, if you'll do it with a good attitude and a right spirit, God is taking notice and God uh, will never let a seed that is sown come back void. So be dependable. Number three, don't just bring problems, bring solutions. Everybody and their brother can come right before service and say, Pastor, there's no toilet paper in the men's bathroom. Now you giggle, but that happens almost every Sunday. Somebody comes and they start to share a concern about what's going on in the church building or about cousin, cousin Susie over there that, that all week long they've been going through a battle and he's about to step to the pulpit with a word from the Lord, because he's been in prayer, he's been fasting, he's been seeking the voice of God, and he's about to step to this pulpit, and all of a sudden you want to come and tell him that the toilet paper is empty. Take care of it. Just deal with it. And when you have to bring problems to the man of God, be in prayer ahead of time and say, hey, this is, maybe, could, could I do this about it? Could I take care of this? Don't just bring the problem, bring a solution or offer yourself as the solution. Did you know that every church has somebody? Man, somebody should really deal with that. Some, man. I wish somebody would get a burden to fill that Sunday school bus. I wish somebody would learn how to play the bass. I wish somebody would really worship right now. We, every church has somebody. But anybody could do any of those things. Not every church has anybody. Because really at any given point in, in, in a walk with God or in a church's history, all it takes is one or two people getting, getting fed up to the point where it just bubbles to the surface and not lash out in anger, but to move out in the promise of God and begin to say, you know what? I'm going to stand behind my pastor. I'm going to stand behind the leadership of this church. Uh, I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to step up. I'm going to fill that bus. I'm going to change the toilet paper. I'm going to be the one that worships demonstratively, even if nobody else is. I'm going to be that one. So let it be you. Don't bring to them problems. Bring solutions. We doing okay? All right. Is this making sense? All right. Number four. 
support his ministry of the word. It's okay to have favorite preachers. It's okay to have favorite preachers. Ready for the next part? It's okay if maybe your favorite preacher isn't your pastor. Now, if that's different than what's been taught across this pulpit, then I I yield to that. You listen to that. But realize that this is your pastor. And if God is going to speak to you, it's most likely going to come through this man of God on the pulpit. You can have favorite preachers, but realize that this is your preacher. This is the man of God that God has called and positioned and will speak through to this assembly, this body of Christ of which you are a part. I have questions for people that will fanboy or fangirl over the visiting minister but then sit like a sphinx while their pastor's preaching his guts out every week. We're doing exactly what James tells us not to do and we're giving somebody high honor when our pastor's the one that's preparing in a, in a study room and he's, he's working a full-time job and still pastoring. A, he's working two full-time jobs, by the way, and he's pastoring and he's up here preaching his guts out, but a visiting minister comes and says the same thing and all of a sudden the people of God go crazy. My friend, these things ought not to be so because we've got to allow the preacher that God has placed into our lives to begin to speak what thus saith the Lord into our hearts. And maybe stylistically it's not all that smooth or maybe it's not as polished as as brother or sister so-and-so and maybe there's not all the funny stories and illustrations, but recognize what it is. It's the word of God hot and fresh out of the oven being served up to you on a weekly or twice weekly basis uh, and whether or not it always tastes good uh, it's for your good uh, and you ought to take it and you ought to consume it any man of God worth his salt is going to preach what God gives him what God lays on his heart regardless of whether there's going to be a response in the seats but there's nothing at all wrong with letting him know that you're behind him First Chronicles 16 says this, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. This is David and the Levites are leading the children of Israel in worship and in, in a time of ministry of the word. And they say, ye save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us together and deliver us from the heathen that we may give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And watch this. And all of the people said, amen, and praised the Lord. Now I know that he's going to preach whatever God lays on his heart. And he's going to minister the word. But if you want your pastor to preach better, Every once in a while, you stand to your feet when he makes a point that is truth, and you raise your hand in the air, and you just shout, Amen! In fact, maybe we ought to try it out. We've been sitting for a while. Why don't we stand to our feet for a moment? And we could could practice this. 
We could practice this. Again, maybe it's not stylistically the best point, but truth is truth. Whether it's presented with a bow or whether it's just presented out on a platter ready to be consumed, truth is always truth. Uh, and there's something powerful about the recipient of the word demonstrating to heaven, to hell, and to the preacher of the word that they're in agreement with what's coming across the pulpit. There's something powerful. You see, every so often when Pastor Paulson begins to preach on the oneness of God and he'll declare a truth like Jesus uh, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, there ought to be a sound that comes out of your mouth. Uh, or when he begins to declare that Jesus, uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. When he begins to declare that neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Uh, it doesn't matter if you've heard it once or if you've heard it a thousand times. Truth is truth. Uh, and it does something to heaven and it does something to hell. When you confess with your mouth, amen, I agree with this. I believe it uh, because there's still only one Lord, uh, one faith, one baptism, uh, one truth that's being declared uh, in this region. And that is the word of God. Man, you may be seated. So if you want your pastor to preach better, as a pastor, I want to preach better. And sometimes this is not a reflection of this congregation right now. Sometimes it's like pulling teeth. It really is. Sometimes you're digging and you're laboring and you're working. When all of a sudden out of the pews stands up somebody that's a faithful pillar in the house of God and says, amen, pastor, I agree with you. You want to change the environment? You want to change the nature of your services drastically? You sit yourself near the front center of the church. You worship with exuberance. You stand up and amen the preacher. And I'm telling you, the atmosphere of your church services changes uh, on a drastic level. Why? Because you're bringing your spirit into alignment with the word that's flowing through the man of God. Uh, it is my goal. If I'm not preaching in Watertown, it is my goal that by the time the word of God begins to come forth I'm in the same vein of the spirit I'm flowing with the man of God there have been many times where I'll be in the prayer room prior to service and I'm praying the sermon before I've ever heard it I'm just beginning to preach and it, you can feel the Holy Ghost begin to flow and all of a sudden preacher starts preaching I'm like I'm already there you want to make him a better preacher, be in the same vein of the spirit that he's in by the time he comes to the pulpit. Don't make him have to resurrect the dead, but get in the prayer room before service and seek out the mind of God so that one body can come together and you can minister effectively in the same channel of the spirit. Free him from small tasks and allow him to focus on the ministry of the word. He is not above them. I'm not saying that the pastor is too good to vacuum the carpet or shovel the walk or clean a toilet. But his ministry will elevate to a new level when the word of God can be his focus. 
Acts chapter 6 demonstrates and proves this to us. The church hit a point where they could not grow any further. Why? Because the, the apostles were so busy taking care of the daily administration of the church that grumbling and disunity began to start. And so what was the solution? Faithful, available, and teachable individuals were elevated to a position of faithful administration in the church to take care of monetary and food-related things. See, everybody wants the microphone, and everybody wants to be the guy in charge, uh, but how about the guy in charge of the soup kitchen? Not very many people are in competition for that. But what happened when seven were appointed? Number one, God used those seven in a very powerful way. Now, Stephen's ministry was very short, but it was very powerful. Philip goes off to Samaria, and God begins to move through those faithful, available, and teachable individuals that weren't the apostles, but the apostles are able to give themselves to the word and to prayer. And the Bible says that the number of disciples multiplied greatly and a great number of priests were obedient to the faith. Uh, if uh, maybe, just maybe, there's a sticking point in the growth and the trajectory of the church, then set the man of God free. Allow him to focus on the word of God like never before. Remove every earthly administrative care. Now he's still the overseer of the church. And so he's still going to have to look into those things and have an understanding of those things, uh, but allow him to walk from the office to the pulpit uh, and begin to share the word of God freely into your heart. Amen. Amen. We doing okay? Number six, number five, we skipped five. Pray for your pastor. This is by far the most important piece of the puzzle. Your spiritual leadership is facing complex situations. I compare it to a new parent, any, any like brand new parents here, first kid, anybody about to be a, a brand new parent? When you're about to have a kid or you're waiting to have kids, you hear the line, oh, just wait till you have kids. Anybody ever hear that? Right? How many of you thought, man, I wish people would quit saying that to me. I, I know what I, I know. Like, I'm ready. Anybody willing to admit to that? I'm, wait till you have kids. I'm ready to have kids. They were not ready to have kids. Nobody's ready to have kids. It changes everything. I heard the line just, oh man, just wait till you pastor. And I'll admit to you, I thought to myself, man, I got this. I got this. I, in fact, did not have this. <laughs> I, I do not have this. And that's becoming ever more clear. He's facing complex situations. And he needs somebody 
lifting him up in prayer. He needs somebody. I heard a story. Anybody ever heard of Brother Sistrunk? He's now the North American Missions Director. He was telling a story in South Dakota one time of when he was planting one of his, he's, he's planted multiple churches in the Detroit metro area and in one of them that is his bishop sent him to to plant a church, he sent with him two couples. And uh, if I remember correctly, one of the couples may have backslid, and that, that may not be 100% accurate, but he sent with them this elderly couple that had no discernible skill set. And he was like, well, great, what am I doing with this? And after several years of pastoring, the male component of this elderly couple passes away. And he describes it as if all of the sudden where he had been running with a tailwind, he was now running into a headwind. Because what he did not know is that that elderly man with no other discernible skills, he wasn't a musician, he wasn't super gifted in other areas, but what he was doing was in private and in secret. Every single day, he would spend an hour in prayer for his pastor. When nobody saw, when nobody knew, not even the pastor knew, but he was spending an hour a day praying for the man of God that he had been sent with, uh, that God would help him and support him and strengthen him. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost right now as we stand, uh, there is a need for intercessors to arise uh, that without Pompa, without fanfare, without even recognition from anybody else, uh, they're going to take a burden upon themselves to pray, not just for your pastor, but for your bishop and for the spiritual leadership of North Dakota. Is there anybody in this place that wants to help your pastor as we close this morning. Uh, why don't we lift our hands in this house uh, and why don't we ask God to lay on us a burden. Uh, Lord, I want to be the best saint uh, that I could possibly be. Uh, Lord, I want to be the best part of the body of Christ that I could possibly 